welcome to One Day Contract, the Panthers talk show where each week we're joined by a new personality who we've signed to a one-day contract to join the show. One Day Contract is a proud part of the Riot Network. Follow the Riot Network on Twitter at the Riot Network to stay up to date on all your favorite pods. Football's back and so are all new episodes. Subscribe, rate, and love us on iTunes. My name is Nikki Wolf. With me, as always, Josh Klein, managing editor for the Riot Report, co-host of It Is What It Is, and is watching bubble basketball every night and loving it. That's right, baby. We're staying in phase two, but uh, I am excited. Just because we're staying in phase two does not mean that I cannot get uh, excited to stay at home and watch sports every single freaking night. And bubble basketball has been everything that I dreamed of. It looks a little bit like NBA 2K. Um, they have the fake crowd noise piped in. Um, Giannis is everything that I dreamed he would be. And, uh, and it's just, you know what, sports are fun. And I'm just really excited that I can uh, now be a bad husband and a less attentive uh, partner every single day of the week now that sports are back. Positive energy. <laughs> Woo! Kittens, puppies, and rainbows. I like it. Is this three weeks now of this streak? Yeah, you know what? I had, what, six months of negativity? So we got to get, we're going to, we're turning positive until really bad news happens. And oh, what's that? Breaking news up North Carolina staying in phase two until September 11th. So we're out. That's it. We're back. I hate, I hate my life. Let's end the podcast. This thing is over. I'm done. Although that is before week one. So could happen. Could happen. Hey, you got bubble basketball. Just remember that. that bubble basketball. Um, our other BFF, he's got his Hornet shirt on, so a non-bubble basketball team. Colin Hoggard, columnist and contributor for the Riot Report, thinks that the XFL is something the NFL widely needs, if you smell what he's cooking. Oh, Nikki, it's wonderful to be here today. I hope you're doing well. Yes, I'm excited about the XFL getting bought. I think it's a shrewd move because – one of, the, one of the angles, the business angles of this would have been the TV contracts and TV companies trying to get to opt out of that XFL contract. I think by having The Rock as the face, they keep those TV contracts in place uh, probably because no one wants to mess with The Rock. And so the XFL actually has a legitimate chance to, to live and breathe. And I think that's good for, for football. We need more football. Definitely need more football. All the football, if you will. Need more of the rock, too, in my opinion. IMO. Yes. Yes. Always could use more rock. On the one-day contract this week, Jim Zoki, sports director at WBT, but you probably know him as the voice of the Panthers since 1995. We're all secretly hoping you'll do some play-by-play of our regular lives that we can cherish forever. Maybe you could be the voice on my GPS and direct me around. I'll take anything, whatever you're willing to do. I was going to say, if I could uh, voice lives, we'd have to first leave our homes and have lives to be more exciting. Sitting on the couch, you could say what you're watching on Netflix, I guess, and we could do a recap on that. Be a lot of cereal eating. (laughs) A lot of, uh, yeah, uh, sadly eating ice cream late at night. That's pretty much my, that's that's what I do at home. That's my full day. Yeah. First of all, if you're eating ice cream, it's never sad. Don't use those words together. No. (laughs) Not in my house. Unless it's got cherries in it, and then you just hate eating it. Oh, gosh. Oh, cherry cordial. Who left this from three months ago? What a terrible decision. Why not chocolate? Oh. What if it had cranberries in it? Would you feel different? Well, it would be gone already. <laughs> so it wouldn't be the last one ice cream? lingering there for, for three months. 
Now, obviously, now Nikki. Cranberry gravy ice cream is an idea. Mm. Let's make it. Now, Jim, I, I want to ask you a quick question. So you've been, are you an original employee? Are you an original? Like how does, how does it, how do you, how are you categorized within the building? Cause I'm sure that there's some old timers that have different distinctions here. I've been, so I've been there for every game every year. It actually was at the expansion meetings when we got the franchise. Uh, so I've been there for every game, working every game, but I'm like, uh, I'm contract labor basically. So I'm paid seasonally, I guess, as you would say. Uh, as far as what I do with the Panthers, I don't have an office there. I work at WBT and WFNZ at Entercom, so that's my full-time job. And then contract labor doing the Panther games. Um, what? Well, I'm now we're just going to jump into the Jim Zoki interview portion. What? Uh, <laughs> what were the expansion meetings like? I want to know more about those. That was pretty crazy. I mean, going back, we we traveled in a number of cities as they had the ramp up, trying to get up to the point where they picked the, the ones they had, and um, it was. You know, we felt good about our chances, but we didn't know. And Memphis was in it back at that time. And uh, it was just a lot of different. Baltimore, obviously, was part of that. And it just was, like, coming down to which teams were going to get at what cities. So I was there when it happened when Mr. Richardson pointed the camera. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Did all that. And one of the, my funny memories of that is two things. One, going back to that time, that was 1993, when we got the expansion news at the hotel in Chicago is that's pre carrying cell phones or having the internet. So I sequestered a pay phone to make the announcement back to Charlotte that we knew that there was going to be an announcement that we're getting the team. And then I'll never forget uh, the big guy, Harold Johnson from channel nine. I think it was David Rue from channel three fighting for stage up on a uh, position up on the stage to be able to uh, broadcast from where they wanted to about the announcement before Mr. Richardson came onto the stage uh, to say what he was going to say about becoming the next franchise. So almost had TV news anchorman fights like you would see with Will Ferrell or something like that. I'm, I'm assuming Harold Johnson won because if, if his helicopter's getting used by Ric Flair, I got to think <laughs> Howard had some, Howard had some moves. He was ready for Harold had some moves. Yeah. Was, there's no winners in anchor fights though, really. I mean, who, who really <laughs> wins in that situation? Well, it's like the, uh, you see that a lot in the locker room. You may never see it again, but in, in the Panthers locker room, you see as people kind of gather around a Christian McCaffrey locker an empty christian mccaffrey locker while he's still in the shower waiting for him to get out of there so you can talk to him there a weird semicircle starts to form and then it's like camera guys will kind of try to try to stand wide and establish their uh, establish their dominance or my favorite uh move is to bring the bring a stepladder into the uh into the locker room so that way you don't even have to worry about it. they just pop that baby off stop up top and then they're good right over the top there you go. Wipes the bum rush off. That's the professional move. Also, this is Marley for anyone that hasn't met Marley. He, he made an appearance on the podcast. <laughs> Special guest for the video so, pod. For the, for the video portion for anybody that sees this, which will probably just be Josh. Um, we start <laughs> the show with Nikki's super important question um, in this phase two world that seems never ending what are you guys missing the most? And this doesn't have to be some kind of like deep philosophical answer of any sort or like, you know, mushy gushy, like be, be honest. What, what are you guys missing the most right now? Eating meals, not in front of my family so that I don't have to feel like a responsible father figure in the entire, the entirety of my life. I could just enjoy some fries with ranch and be left alone like a decent human being. <laughs> you- That's what I miss, Nikki. How are you doing? <laughs> Do you, do, you the classic, up okay? do you do the classic uh, 
dad with young kids move of get go to the restaurant and then at and then order the to-go food so you get a little bit of time at the bar and have a, as many beers as you possibly can before the food comes out yes yes absolutely that's that that is imperative that is the that's the reason i'm anti-doordash don't take stop taking dad time that's dad's time let dad have some time okay just let the man go get a drink and go get the food hunt gather and return to his clan don't take this from me and because my food is gonna be the one that gets turned over in the car anyways so you're absolutely right so I'm, i'm doing great other than that though other than that it's fine I, I miss the um, the like I am out somewhere for like an appointment, like a doctor's appointment, or I, I'm like a girl, and I decide to myself, you know what, I'm I'm hungry, I want to get a bite to eat, and then it's like there's no, you can't do that uh, that like quick bite where uh, where you didn't you didn't plan it, you know, because I'm not going to go into a restaurant and sit, I'm not going to go to Chipotle, and I've got 20 minutes to kill, so I'm going to get myself a nice bowl and sit here in front of the window and eat it. I can't do that. And I'm also, the thing that I really hate is that um, I can't look at Instagram stories without hating every single one of my friends. Because it's like, if you're posting something fun on Instagram stories, I hate you. I do not like it. (laughs) Jim, what about you? I miss being able to go to like the grocery store and not look down and realize I'm walking down the the wrong arrow of the aisle. Mm -hmm. I don't don't do it on purpose, but I don't really notice until I get to the other end of the aisle and realize I've, I've made that mistake or walk up to the door and I've got the mask in my car, I have to walk back. But what I really miss is just going, every year my daughter lives in Atlanta, I would go down to a couple of Atlanta Braves games and being able to go to Charlotte Knights games or go to concerts, I just miss that. I used to complain about traffic and parking and not being able to get out afterwards and I even miss that. I even miss being stuck in traffic trying to get out. Yeah, or like, you're absolutely right. Like going to, the idea that going to a concert or a live sporting event is just kind of like out the door for another six months is uh, no. It's not the kind of positive energy that we're bringing to this show. That's not what we're going to do. <laughs> I got the positive energy for you. I think, I think we've, take, we've taken it for granted. And what we realize now is that being around people is an experience that we can't, we can't fake. We can't fake it. There's no, when you get the, the little bumps on your skin because here comes the rally or here, whatever it is, it is amplified by sharing that experience with thousands of people and we don't have that now. And, and I think that, that we're, we're disconnected. We're at a time when we have all this technology, we're more disconnected than ever because we don't, we don't get to see each other. We don't get to look each other in the eye, you know, see that someone's having a bad day and try and make it better. We just, we don't have that ability right now. So it's, 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 it's the reason to be optimistic is that we'll get back to that and it will feel better to be around each other. again. Yeah. I think we'll all have an, like a new appreciation of, everything in our lives. I mean, think about if you bailed on a night out with friends or you didn't go to this or, you know, my friend Ashley and I, we buy the summer mega ticket every year for the last 10 years. The last couple of years, there's always that one concert, like you were talking about, Jim, it's like, we don't want to go fight traffic. We, we don't want to do that. And we'll just skip it or sell our tickets. And now I'm counting down to days. I will never skip a concert. I may go to every concert that comes <laughs> to the city pending my bank account. So. <laughs> <laughs> We're ready I think, I think every, every crowd, like everyone, like I think at this point, if you're a sports fan, like you want to be in a crowd and feel that moment again. Like it's, I think we're all just itching for that moment to be a part of that, that crowd. Sure. I mean, if, if the choice, if I could go to a Panthers game tomorrow and they would get blown and I knew that they would get blown out 42 to nothing, I would go. I'd be there. 
I would Nothing. eat hot dogs. I would Nothing though. Cross. A donut? A donut? Like, I mean, not even three? They would, pro- they would probably throw a complete pass. They would be introduced out of the tunnel, right? We like, already so didn't get like- to bring our NBA team inside the bubble. We already got left out of that. Now I got to score zero in this mythical Panthers game. Come on. Can't I get a touchdown? All right, fine. One touchdown, but they missed the extra point. <laughs> 42 to 6. While Gano kicks for the other team and makes them all. That's right. <laughs> I'll gladly buy a couple more of those $14 beers or whatever just to have that mm-hmm. moment. Mm-hmm. I would appreciate it. Well, let's first start with uh, just a little like, quick rundown of news this week. So, Panthers wave five to get the 80 players over the weekend. So now they can hold the whole team in the building at the same time. Was there anyone surprising in that group? Joshua? Uh, Here's the thing. I get it. It's the last five guys on the roster. And at that point, nobody's really surprising. The only name that I was surprised to not make it through the first group was um, Rodney Smith. I thought that running back, I thought he was a running back that could compete only because running back is so wide open. Um, after obviously McCaffrey on this depth chart, I think you could literally be the ba- Any of the guys that are in camp right now could be the backup quarterback come September or backup running back come September or backup quarterback if everybody tests positive. Um, so even, and then I was kind of validated because a couple of days later they picked up, um, cannon on waivers from, uh, from the jets. So they obviously they're, they're, they're wide open in terms of running back. And I think that they don't have, we talked about this last week. They don't have. They're not beholden to Reggie Bonifon or to or to Jordan Scarlett. Um, and if they like what Mike Davis does, I, I think everybody thinks it's like a foregone conclusion that he's going to get cut. But I'm not so sure that's that's really the case. I don't. I don't know where Mike Davis is right now as a football player. To be perfectly honest, I mean we've talked about it before. We know you know what he was at South Carolina. And we've seen him before. But if uh, on the player that I've I've seen him be, the best case scenario for that running back position is absolutely going to be Samuel. Uh, and, and, and Davis backing up McCaffrey. I think everything else, you know, and, and that's, again, hoping that Davis could be that guy. Anything else is going to be is, is going to be a, a, a guy. He's going to be a guy this year in all likelihood, just a guy. Um, I, I find this roster more than any other hard to kind of pin down just because there's so much is up in the air and so many there's been so much turnover that I don't feel like I've been as unfamiliar with the Panther roster as I am with this one. And I'm not suggesting that these guys – that these, these roster spots aren't important. I'm just saying that I don't know how we're supposed to have any ability to evaluate these guys. Um, you know, we always laugh about it during training camp generally, and this year it's even, it's even worse just because of the, the nature of the year. Uh, yeah, I mean, much like Michael Jackson said, you are not alone in thinking that uh, and not knowing who the roster is. Marty Herney said yesterday in, uh, on well, yesterday, two days ago, I don't know, it all runs together, 10 years ago, uh, that, um, that he basically like when he was evaluating the roster, he was like, Hey, listen, like there are some guys that I haven't even really seen run yet because which seems crazy for a general manager, but it ultimately, like if you sign these guys to futures contract in January, you just haven't seen them. You've seen them for a day, two days of camp of this weird training camp that we have. So I, I think that, um, Jim, can you ever remember like a time where it has been like, where where the roster has been this different than it was the year before? No. I mean, this is, you know, this is almost expansion makeover kind of a roster. Like you're just almost starting from scratch. And, you know, one of the familiar names, you talk about Graham Gano being those five let go. That was like one of the 
as being what it is, one of the few positional battles I thought there actually was for mm-hmm. starters. I thought it was interesting was Gano. Sly was going to be kind of an interesting decision. Makes sense financially why they did what they did and went with Joey Sly, but that, that looked like one of the few things where they'd have a competition getting down to 80. And Josh, I thought it was funny too. You talk about Marty's uh, Zoom press conference the other day. They said, well, how are you going to evaluate without preseason? And he said, you know, we still have everything else. We have practices, we have meetings and, you know, virtual meetings. So I'm thinking, oh, how do you how do you evaluate these players in virtual meetings? Is it posture? Is it is it grammar? Like, what what are some of the key things you check off the box of uh, passing a virtual Zoom coaching? If you touch about? your face too much, it's <laughs> yeah. like nope. Yeah, too much headroom. Do they stop their video too much? Like, yeah, like like midway, like they you look up and it's a bunch of just like eggs instead of their actual <laughs> face staring down because it is it's funny you see screenshots of these virtual meetings and this is only going to be for the four of us because this is an audio medium but you see a lot of stuff like like this kind of like like you see a lot of players that are just like barely have their their forehead on the screen or like they're just kind of like like this like this like that kind of stuff so just picture your own ch- child as a student distance learning that's what josh just did that's what he just, he just put his head down barely visible just in the corner yeah, yeah like i like uh, and it's one of those things where i mean i'm sure you guys do it uh, whenever you do a zoom meeting if you have some like bluetooth some airpods in you throw them in you walk around you make yourself a little, put yourself on mute make yourself a smoothie like and then all of a sudden it's like you're cut because like the the five guys that they cut, those guys did not see. Nikki, you're cut. You can't have your text messages going off in the middle of this Zoom. We are trying to learn. It is a virtual offseason. We can't do this in person, so we have to do it via Zoom. You have to take it seriously. Is it points off or points four if your dog enters the frame? <laughs> see, I'm a dog four. guy, so it's points four, yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, four minus if he won't leave. So, like, as, as long as he makes the cameo and get, hey, cute, great the treat. But if he sticks around, that's when we have the issue, right? <laughs> that's when it that becomes a problem. That's when, like, Belichick can't, he's, like, in the middle of a Zoom <laughs> meeting and he's just like, is that a dog? Like, because, I mean, he, 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 he loves dogs, as we know. He's a uh, confirmed know, this, dog person. With this virtual, with this virtual uh, off-season, preseason, whatever you want to call it, is it best to just you pick the guys that you think can be the most personally accountable? I don't even try to compare 40 times. We're just going for who do we think can be the most accountable 11 guys we could put out on the field. Or for 70 guys, basically. Because, like, yeah. the, the, the 68th guy on the practice squad who comes into the building because and with COVID-19 is just as bad as if Christian McCaffrey comes in with it. If you're a young guy that comes in with a ton of promise, but you're a little bit, you know, a little bit wild, and you may be going to parties or going out on Saturday, you know, Saturday night's not the right night, uh, but you know what I mean. If you're if you're going out and like that's not the kind of guy, that's the kind of guy that ends up, you know, getting his photo on Instagram at a strip club, getting chicken wings, and possibly, you know, screwing the whole thing up. Sure, you're Vernon Butler's. He's not on the team anymore. I can say it. Um, uh, the thing is, is that. It's like you're just you're catch, absolutely just right. caught an elbow. Well, you know he listens. He listens. To <laughs> All right, Vern, if you're listening, caught an elbow. He's a huge podcast guy. I mean, obviously, <laughs> really into um, this American he's life. A student of the game. He's a serial, obviously. Um, <laughs> no, uh, I think that it's like you're you're absolutely right. It it it, it, it is a question of like do. You, do you have to take that into account? I, I, I don't know. That would have been an interesting question to ask Marty, but instead we asked him 20 different questions about how 
uh, you pick up guys during COVID-19, which is, I mean, that it's interesting. Like I, I learned some new stuff, but. Yeah. I mean, it's also the basis of what the Patriots have built personal accountability. It's literally the basis for the best organization going. And if you don't like it, then opt out. <laughs> Speaking hey. of that, the other headline of this week, Christian Miller opting out. What does this do? Does it affect the depth? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to just jump Easy in. Easy answer, answer, yeah. Yeah, but like <laughs> short answer, yes. Long answer, yes and, I guess. Like it just kind of – it. The, this is going to be a year where sometimes somebody, whether it's uh, like a, like the fifth corner on the roster or the seventh offensive line or Christian Miller, who is probably going to be either the fourth or fifth linebacker or the fifth defensive end, depending on how you look at his position, he's probably going to get some playing time at some point during this year, whether it was an injury, a real injury, not that COVID-19 is not a real injury, but or somebody pops a positive test and they can't play. Um, those guys are going to make an impact. And so when it's instead of fourth round pick out of Alabama, Christian Miller, it's now undrafted free agent, um, Jason Ferris, who I know is also is out on IR, but I couldn't think of a good UDFA linebacker. Uh, that, that makes a difference. That is going to, when it's like, Hey, now, Hey, go, uh, go cover Rob Gronkowski. That's not, it's, it's going to be harder. So I, I think that if that, yeah, of any player that you lose is going to make a difference, especially this year. I feel like when I look at the, I do my own depth charts. So I, I do it for preseason normally, but in this case, just for my own use for all these talk shows and podcasts. And I look at linebacker just from a talent standpoint, and I think it looks thinner than it ever has in years at that position. But also compared to like any other position on the team, I feel like linebacker isn't really deep. So you're getting thin right away with talent you know not that you can't go out and bring other talent in but as you talked about Josh with Marty it's hard to bring outside players and they got to pass COVID tests and all this just to get them to where you can even talk to them so I think when you look at Jermaine Carter Andre Smith they brought back Darius Taylor um, some quality guys there but I think it was it would have been an opportunity for Christian Miller to really step up this year mm-hmm. but you understand his decision first of all in the safety Absolutely. and the family aspect of that so that's that's number one but I think he had an opportunity to really pick up really a lot of reps this year and, and snaps playing football this season because I just look at linebacker this year and usually it's like, remember, like how do we get A.J. Klein on the field? Like how do we get all these really good linebackers on the field that aren't starting, you know, Mayo and guys like that? It feels like, again, these guys are going to have to step up and play better. But um, I, think, I think Miller would have had an opportunity to be a heavy part of that rotation. Yeah, I think this had to have been an incredibly tough decision for him just because of what you're saying. This is a, this is a big year for him. And you have a defense that collectively that we're spending less than $40 million on. You need your draft picks that you've invested time and money in um, and effort into to be the guys that are going to lead the way. Like if, if you're going to build the young defense that hasn't gotten paid yet, this is, these are the kind of guys that, that you want to deliver. Um, at the same time, it's, it, you know, we all, it's 2020 and we're all adults here. So um, I, I'm disappointed when we plan for the team. I do think it hurts him because, you know, I think that particularly whether you're rushing, you're playing that close to the line every year. I don't think we give guys credit or acknowledge enough how, how much year to year they can actually, they can grow. Um, and I think he would have been a guy that would have been, an, had a chance to play and chance to make plays. So yeah, it definitely hurts a little bit. Yeah, for, for sure. And I think that, um, you know, anytime that you have a downgrade from a Christian Miller to a Sam Franklin, that's the UDFA I couldn't think of. Uh, it's it's never great. Um, but 
That's a uh, that's a fake name. That's a created name. That's a real person. He's a, that's from two. Jim, where is he on the depth no. chart? If it's like, hey, you want to create player <laughs> one, what do you want to name? Hit random. <laughs> Bam. That's what pops up first time every time. Take take one guess as to where he went to college. Uh, well, probably <laughs> Army, because it's first or Albany. Yeah, uh, he went to Temple, of course. Obviously. Temple. Yeah, and he's sort of UDFA. That if you don't know their name, they went to Baylor or they went to Temple. Or in the case of uh, Derek Thomas, they went to both. He went to Temple and then he transferred to Baylor. Now, it's, oh, shocker! Matt Rule brought him in. Weird Jack- jackpot. But in this year, we see co- we see new coaches do this all the time. I think in this year, you know, we're talking about the personal accountability. The, the knowledge of the system. I think any year, this is the most justifiable year to bring guys that might be familiar with what you like to do along with you. Yeah, you're not wrong. Mm-hmm. Training camp is underway, but does it actually feel like training camp is underway? Well, I have not ooed over a Teddy Bridgewater deep pass down the sideline yet, so no, it does not. <laughs> Why don't they just throw out a, like a like a six second clip video of him go of him throwing it fifty yards out? Like that seems like the easiest Panthers social tweet that there could be. You know, just throw it out there and and Christian flexing like those two things. And now now we're in now it's training camp. You know, yeah, that's what we need. And somebody's got to like Krispy Kreme and 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 sing to the ladies at Krispy Kreme um, <laughs> at night, and then I think we're there. We don't ask for much. Little nuggets. It's you know they sent out that one picture of uh, Teddy handing it off to Christian, and of course they was like, "Why has Teddy got a mask, but Christian doesn't?" I mean, this is where we are as far as evaluating training camp right now. And what does it all mean? Is Teddy more conscientious than some other players about it? But yeah, I, I miss the whole Spartanburg experience because it's just it's part of the fabric of what has been going on for twenty five years. And um, you're right, the eyeballing of the plays at opening night has become such a big deal down there. And they do a great job at Wofford of hosting all that. I think it's been a lot of fun. So it's missed. Josh and I were talking before we got going. I mean, this could be April. This could be the fake OTA. This could be the virtual OTA versus the virtual training camp. It's, I was talking to my neighbor in the yard a couple of days ago, and he's not following us closely, not realizing that training camp is even in Spartanburg. He's like, you've been going down to training camp. I go, yeah, I've got to go in 15 minutes up in my office to do a Zoom press conference. <laughs> and that's, you know, they bring two players onto a Zoom, and that's training camp for the day. Mm-hmm. There's nothing really, there's no, uh, there's no way to like gain. I mean, speaking of the, the, you know, having the press conferences with these players, there's no, there's no context for any of these players. So you can't say, Hey, Brian Burns, it looks like you really were, you know, you were doing a lot of talking with Steven Weatherly out there about improving your pass rush. You just can't, you can't see anything. So it's just, it's tough to, it's tough to know what they're doing. And it really doesn't feel like training camp. It does not feel like uh, the, like the Panthers theoretically could be playing a game in 32 days. Um, but I mean, that's, that's where we're at. Yeah. And there's 80 stories as far as players and mm-hmm. you're getting what's, what's provided, which is what all teams are doing. Uh, in this case, two players a day is about what it is today. It was one because of the way it worked out, but the reporters of all kind are getting the exact same sound bites, the exact same information. So you're not getting, you know, Josh splitting off to get an interview with someone over there you know, Panthers.com going there, you know, the TV stations going over here, the writers there. So you would normally get five, six, ten angles of coaches and interviews, and you're getting what is only allowed, which for the league is, you know, what they're putting up on a Zoom press conference. Yeah. Instead of being able to try and observe, and we, we know that we always have training camp overreactions. It's part of the fun of it. But instead of being able to try, try and observe and have the journalists and writers 
try and observe, it really almost feels like it's going to be a Madden release where it's like, what's Christian McCaffrey rated this, this year? We don't know. Cause we haven't seen him in nine months. We, I mean, we obviously, he's a, he's a terrible example, but for, for everybody else that, that isn't Christian McCaffrey on the roster, you're going to, it's like, what is this guy? What did he do over the last year? We don't, we don't know. And instead of getting kind of that time to try and familiarize yourself, it's really just going to be like, we're going to get, here's your team. It's going to get dropped in our laps. And then we're going to be figuring out who's, who's who for the first month of the, of the season. How are we going to fall in love with a, with the eighth wide receiver on the depth chart and, uh, and then be mad when he inevitably gets cut? <laughs> How are we going to push for PJ Walker to start week one <laughs> when we don't even see him play in the preseason? Like these are the kind of questions that, that I need the answers to, but no, it, it doesn't, you're absolutely right. Like it doesn't, we'll just continue to say it. And I'm sure we'll say it next week and the week after it doesn't really, it doesn't feel like training camp. Um, and I, and I wonder if this is the end of this training camp period of the Carolina Panthers. Cause I, I, I know they said they are they're They look forward to going back to Spartanburg next year. I, they're not going back to Spartanburg next year. Like, in, like I, I just can't see that happening once they have pulled it back and they can, they, they figured out that you don't have to live in a college dorm, that you can have these practices at your own facility instead of uh, in at Gibbs Stadium. I, I just don't I don't see it happening again. And then all of a sudden they'll be in Teppertown in, in 2022. So um, that'll be a whole different story. But in my mind, it's like this is the we have reached the end of the first 25 years. And I know that you know Jerry Richardson had the the family aspect to the Panthers and he had made it feel like a small town franchise and as we have gone along there have been small changes to that to indicate okay now this is what David Tepper wants these this is the new era of the Carolina Panthers and it's like where this is just another huge step in my opinion is no longer having free admission during training camp at Spartanburg now it's uh, we've got practice and uh, here are the 30 pictures on the team website if you want to see them. It's, well, it's become it's a, a business. Yeah, it's become a business as it should be, uh, Colin, because it's, uh, you know, with Jerry, he, his goal was to get the franchise and own it. And everybody's making a ton of money. All the all 32 owners are. But I think David Tepper's running it the way that you would expect a modern businessman to monetize things. Everything from like the Lowe's gate at the stadium that wasn't there before at Bank of America Stadium to just, you know, again, just any kind of sponsorship and logos you can put on different things you know, they're doing. This is how you create value and bring more money into the franchise is by monetizing more things. So I think it's being run, I'd say more, more like it, like you would expect a business to be run, you know, trying to capitalize more on it, not taking away from the fan experience in any way, but trying to make more money off of it than Mr. Richardson, who was more about, I want it to feel a certain way. They always used to talk about training camp at Wofford. They wanted it to feel like you were at Augusta national, the masters. They were more concerned about how the, the hedges looked and how the grass looked and how the tents looked and all that kind of thing. And, and I'll tell you this, I think it does matter. I mean, it, it, the presentation of, you know, modern football has come a long way. And, and, and really it mirrors the time that the Panthers have been in the league. You look at the, the football in the old 90s, there's just boxes and stuff just laying on the sidelines. Like there's people looking all kinds of different ways on the sidelines. And you, in the Panthers, like, they don't just have like, you know, uh, the, the, the cat eyes just draped loosely over the end. Like it's it's tied up. It's put together well. Like that that part really did come through throughout – you know, throughout Jerry's time. Um, and I think the presentation has been a part of why so many people have connected with this, with this organization in, in, a, in a short time. I think it's, it's a part of this organization's identity, just as Sam Mills and, you know, having all the, the men of the year, like, um, 
the nominees and we were kind of on the edge. I know every team's got, got a nominee now, but I think those, these are real fundamental things about what it meant and what it is meant to be a Panther fan. In terms of the precautions and protocols and everything that's put in place because of COVID, how do you feel about these? Do you think that this is successful? Can it lead to a full season with 16 games? What are your thoughts on this? I think I think any conversation about the NFL and COVID is a cover for a conversation we should be having about COVID and the different institutions, say, schools. Um, and it's just easier to talk about it in terms of, of the NFL or the NBA than it is to talk about it in terms of children um, or the people that are actually going to be impacted. Um, I think we, I think there's a reality that we got to deal with, with this, with, with COVID situation and we're and, and public schools coming, you know, that, that time's coming near. So I think we're, we're actually moving towards a point of COVID acceptance. I think it's, it's going to be a necessary evil for us as Americans. And I think it's going to kind of go to the back back burner as far as professional sports is concerned, um, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. I, Jim, I'd be curious to get your take. Cause I think, Colin and I have kind of talked ad nauseum about what we, how we feel about whether or not the, the NFL can pull this off. Um, I'd, I'd be curious to, to see what you're, where you land on this. I just, I think of all the sports, first of all, I think the NFL is doing everything they can. I'll put it that way. They're doing uh-huh. everything they can. I think the Panthers at the forefront, like Matt Rule saying, we're not doing six feet, we're doing eight feet. We got the trackers. I mean, they're really doing kind of above and beyond even what's being asked to be done. That really is a coach kind, of, a college coach kind of thing, though. That yeah. really is. No, you want six feet? We give you eight around here. That's some real college coach motivation right there. That's running through the wall right there. But but at some point, as I mentioned, like the arrows down the aisles at the grocery store. But we're going to play tackle football with twenty-two people for three and a half hours on a summer day, and, and there's going to be you know constant contact and and breathing heavily near and around each other. So it it seems like the science of tackle football with everything we're talking about, like you can't exchange jerseys after the game, but we're going to play tackle football for three and a half hours. Those two things don't mesh. So I would only say this, who knows is the first answer. We'll, we'll get to week one because we're skipping beyond the preseason. Mm-hmm. And maybe we're skipping beyond the preseason to make sure we get week one in. But beyond that, I think it should be okay. If we got week one in, let's try week two. And it's going to be the old, it's week to week or day to day, John Fox thing. I think that's going to be the league. It's going to be like, this is uncharted territory unless you were around for the Spanish flu in 1918. I just think it's going to be week to week trying to figure out, can we safely keep doing this? And uh, yeah, of course the players are young, they're healthy. The odds are that nothing serious would happen to a player, but you're going to feel okay if a coach or an assistant coach or a staff member, or they take it home to a parent or grandparent or you know, a child at home. And no one just takes one or two of those stories, make everyone get a gut punch and not feel good about this. So I think it's, it's a very big challenge and one that we'll just evaluate week to week and see how far we can get. I do, I do think in defense of the NFL, like the, the bubble, everyone's pro bubble right now. The bubble is great, but we haven't seen the bubble get pierced. Um, you know, one of these, bu- and then what happens? You guys have invested a ton of money in this bubble now in the name of player safety, but are we going to keep going because we've invested a ton of money? So it's right now it's, it's, it's easy to be pro bubble. I actually think without the bubble, you may get away from the catastrophic, um, you know, potential that you, you could, and I say that like from a league standpoint, not, not hopefully not from a human standpoint. So I, I just think it's easy to be pro bubble right now. I think the NFL, it's, it's not realistic. And so 
they just got to try and exist in that in that world as best they can and take as many precautions as they can. I think that's what that's all we can do right now. Yeah, I think it, you know, baseball is probably the closest parallel, and they're so socially distanced, right? There's nine on a field, a batter, maybe a runner or two, uh, and yet they've had things happen. Cardinals players going to casinos, the Marlins situation, other people getting it because of the travel that you talked about. I think it's probably closely resembles baseball more than hockey. Or, or basketball because of the little bubbles that they're living in. Yeah, and that's where it gets to a labor issue. You know, we see a lot of times nowadays on social media, you'll see players, I mean, Trey Boston, who I have a ton of respect for, for being vocal, but at times he's, yell, he, you know, he's, he's tweeting at the NFL, and it's like you're part of a, of a labor union. Like you have a voice at the table. Go through those channels and then have that conversation. And I'm not saying don't, don't talk about it publicly, but I do think we have to get to this point where, because so much of this is about optics, I think, and it's not necessarily about science. It really is about this optics. And because if players wanted to hotels are wide open in this country right now that we could, they could go stay in a hotel for the entire season if they want to, but we don't want to do that. So that's where we get to the point about, Hey, this is America. You got to blend, you got to blend everybody's rights. Um, But I think the players have to take some accountability for this because they are arguing against things that are, that are not being discussed kind of publicly. I believe. Well, and the, the NFL um, would pay for you to stay in a hotel too. If you're a, if mm-hmm. you're a player, uh, Derek Brown said specifically that he had the offer and he turned it down. He'd rather stay at home with his wife and, and kids, which I obviously wouldn't. Um, but I, I thought it was, um, I thought it was interesting when you, when you talked about baseball a little bit, Jim, when Matt Paradis said, you know, baseball is, is a different, like, it's different, obviously. Every, every sport is different. But he was like, the, they're not just traveling once a week. They're not flying in on Saturday night, going to the hotel, going to the stadium, and then flying back. They're flying into a city. They're there for three days. They're going out to restaurants. They're going out for milk in the Marlins case. Um, like they're, they're, uh, they're, they're in and out of multiple cities throughout the week. They're traveling more. They're playing 60 games versus 16. And I'm not sure that I really buy all that stuff. But it's interesting to – I had never even considered that. I thought to myself, look at, what base, look at what's happening in baseball. Baseball has lasted for two weeks, and they've had three different outbreaks at least that we know about that have had, that have had forced cancellations of games. And outbreaks that force cancellations of games in the NFL are going to wreak havoc. Like, I, we don't even know what's going to happen if they have to cancel games, if, they have, if the team has to forfeit. We don't know how that's going to work. Um, and so when you look at that, I thought to myself, okay, so if this is what's happening in baseball, it's definitely going to happen in football and football is screwed. It it can't happen. We'll go into week two and whatever the, the dolphins will have 12 guys with COVID-19 and they won't be able to make it. But it does seem like the more, the closer we get to it, the more that they are doing to keep a, to try and keep it out of the building. And if it does get in the building to identify who has it and to, to kind of separate them quickly. Because if you have 69 guys on the roster and you need 11 of them on the field at the same time, you can theoretically lose 30 of them um, before it will really start to affect the integrity of how many guys you can get out there on the field. And in reality, the NFL says that they care about player safety, but they only kind of do. Just it's optics to clear, care about player safety. They care much more about the billions of dollars that it'll cost if they can't get the games off. They care about their corporate loyalty, but but players can sit there and hide behind safety too. They want to make the money. They they, mm-hmm. they really would like to make that money, and so they could sit there and be all about public safety. But w- when we talk about these examples, the leagues, it, it's not like Rob Manfred was the one out there getting milk and then bringing 
bringing COVID back. These are players not taking personal accountability, not taking personal responsibility. And that's what this comes down to. It, from a play standpoint, I think soccer is a better parallel to, to football than baseball is. And soccer has been able to, to get carried off you know, pretty well in other countries. It, it comes down to are people going to take personal accountability for their job and for what they do? And when we deal with the numbers of people, like we deal with public schools, or you deal with the number like the NFL compared to other sports, we just don't have that level of confidence. Someone, we feel like someone's going to mess up because the numbers say someone's going to mess yeah, up. Someone, someone already has. Lots of people have. Yeah. Uh, should, should we play a game next week of like top three players most likely to bring COVID-19 into the Panthers facility and then just immediately have all the players hate us? Like, is that No, a- <laughs> no we, Levitard, Levitard's kind of uh, cornered the market on hateful uh, uh, poll questions this week. So we're going to yeah. leave that alone. We won't do that. It's bad news. Bad idea. Bad news, Bears. Yeah, Josh, you can do the, the top three former Panthers like you started to do before. So we'll just – Yeah, Vernon just leave, just leave Cam yeah. off. Just leave Vernon Cam Vernon. off and it'll be fine. Rashawn Galden doesn't like me, does, has me blocked on Twitter anyway, so it's fine. Um, he blocked you on Twitter? Yeah, he was mad at me for something. I don't know. He got – yeah. Uh, um, I do think that some of the protocols that they have in place at the stadium are really like – like we the more that you hear about them, the more that you're like, oh, that – like. It, it does feel like they're just going so far above and beyond, whether it's the Panthers. And I think we're, we're just so close to the Panthers that we see them. I think other teams are doing these other crazy things. The Broncos have that weird uh, shower car wash thing of hand sanitizer. That doesn't make any sense against an airborne <laughs> disease, but whatever. Um, just slick you up before you get out there and, and hit the pads. Um, but uh, like the, the fact that they have all the players have their own suite, their own personal suites, they're all completely separated. All these team meetings are, are virtual. They have uh, Peter King reported that they have a, a horn guy that blows a horn every nine minutes to make sure that they're circulating and they're not like just in case you forget and you're like, oh, I'm next to somebody. And like the burp, and then you get out of the like they're just doing all these things. Obviously, eight is the new six, um, something I've been telling my wife for years. Um, and uh, <laughs> this, this is the. <laughs> This is the kind of thing that the Panthers are doing. Um, I don't even know what that's supposed to mean. I don't even know what that's supposed to mean. It's the best kind of joke. I just, I just know you said it wrong. I don't know what it's supposed to mean, but you said it wrong. That's what I know. I don't know much, but I know you got it wrong. <laughs> Bless him. Is that where the Either show way, stops? No. <laughs> Either way, I bet Renee laughs. She doesn't listen past the theme song, so it'll be fine. <sighs> uh, uh, I don't even know what, what were we talking about. You're talking about anyway, A is the, the new six. The contact tracer seemed good. Yeah, connects on. Oh, yeah. Bottlenecks in the stadium well, of where yeah, there are too many people. It's because some of it is about <laughs> optics. It's like when you go to the new contactless drive-through where they don't touch your card, they don't do anything like that. But then the woman will just paw the top of your drink, and you're like, "Oh, well, th- thanks. Glad we got this new contactless uh, drive-through for me to be much safer in." Lids popping off, you know, handing it to me half on. 
maybe the football season should be they wear those tracking devices they've been showing. It's like laser tag. If you get within a few feet of each other, you're considered to be tackled mm-hmm. and you just stop the play. And that way there's not actually any physical touching in tackle football. Oh, there we go. Um, in win. terms of the changes to the stadium, is there an advantage there for the Panthers? Uh, I mean, only in that they're, they're, they can like spread out more, I think. And they can kind of get used to being there, I guess. But like they, that Matt Rule made a big deal about that during the offseason. Do you remember that? Like he kept being like, we're, we are in an advantage being at Bank of America Stadium instead of at whatever, the star or whatever. And I, I mean, I guess if they think it is, then, then that's all that counts, I guess. But, well, uh, Jim, I want to ask you, like, talking about training camp and what kind of what training camp is supposed to be for a football team. And to me, it, it feels like part of it, at least, as we think about it, is the coming together of, of the team, is the guys coming together. And it, have you seen that change kind of over time? Is there like a point where you felt like it did change? Or is, or is, this, all, is this what it needs to be and it just isn't anymore, I guess? Yeah, I mean, you're, you're definitely – you're missing out on everything. So you're missing out on the reps and the football part of it that needs to happen, especially with a team, as we talked about, with so much change in the coaching staff and the players – so you not only have the football aspect, but yeah, these guys need to get to know each other and they have Matt Paradis on. So it's cool that he knows Russell Kung and he knows uh, Schofield from playing with him in the past, but not everybody has that. So not everyone's going to have that personality chemistry, let alone the playing together on the football field chemistry that goes with that. So it's a setback, I think, for teams more like the Panthers than teams that are kind of returning their coaching staff, returning their core players. Uh, for a team like Carolina, I think it certainly sets them back. And it's cool that Teddy got some of the guys together and did some stuff on their own. But it's a couple of days. I know they're doing the best they can with virtual meetings and getting to know each other in that way. But the reality is, like, not doing preseason games and not spending time together, it's going to at the very least delay the chemistry or the coming together of a football team. And to me, this has always been the ultimate team sport. And you're missing out on all that time together. Yeah, I, I think that – I mean – We've said it multiple times. The first eight weeks of the season are going to be incredibly sloppy if there are eight full weeks of the season. Hashtag caveat. Um, I think that there are just like, who knows? Like, you always talk about the first couple weeks. They're like, oh, there's missed tackles and miscommunications and they have a new team. But, like, I think this, this sloppiness is going to extend far, far into the season and maybe for the entire year of, like, miscommunications and interceptions and fumbles and missed tackles and holding penalties and false starts and all kinds of things that go along with not being able to essentially practice correctly for the first six weeks. And then also having what amounts to probably backup players in there a lot, because you're going to see a lot of hamstring pulls and, and reserve COVID lists and, and all kinds of stuff. Um, I have a question about all the changes to the stadium because I was thinking about this a couple of days ago. Do you think that, okay, so the changes would have been made if Jerry Richardson was still making owning the team. Obviously, they would still be trying to have the whole season. But do you think that they would be as state-of-the-art and ahead of, ahead of the curve? Jim, you said it earlier that they're kind of ahead of the – they're at the forefront of it. Do you think they would have been at the forefront if it was still Jerry Richardson's team? You know, I, I will say things in general with Dave Tepper feel a little bit more cutting edge in every way, including the coaching staff they put together, the way they're kind of presenting the team from a marketing and branding standpoint. Uh, but as far as that goes, I think, you know, one thing about Jerry Richardson when he owned the team was he was pretty good about being uh, letting people do their jobs and not so much dictating very often 
what it was going to be as far as what's happening with the, the different departments. So he probably would have assigned that to somebody that would have made that happen, whether it was different people that are in there now uh, to just handle that. How do we handle COVID? How do we go through that? Because that really wouldn't have been his forte about, you know, how do we get through this situation? And I think he probably would have let somebody come up with that. And then he oversees it all. Uh, but uh, in general, I do agree with you. I think Dave Tepper is organizationally, everything feels a little bit more out front than the, a lot of teams in the league are. Well, it's like when it happened in baseball, you said to yourself, uh, of course, it's the Marlins that have the outbreak, right? Like in the NFL, who's the team in the NFL that you're like, of course, it's the is it, Washington football club, right? Like that's Vegas, the answer. Right? There is a Vegas. It's, it's Vegas, <laughs> Vegas, and Vegas. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It does kind of seem like that. I don't know. That John Gruden quote was great, man. We got to crush this virus, man. Knock on wood if you're with me. Like, I love it. I still think it's got to be dysfunctional from Florida. So I'm going to go Jacksonville Jaguars on that Mm. one. Well, you got to keep the pool open. Yeah. The um, Vegas, people are just going to go out there. Like, if if you're on a team and your team's not playing Vegas this year, like, and you're one of those playing people, you're just like, thank goodness for dodging that bullet. I just remember, I, I just realized that if you're, if you're a listener, if you're listening to this show, usually by this time last year, we were doing like, we were getting deep into like wide receiver position previews. And I feel like we just like, we have spent what we've been talking for almost an hour. And I don't think we've really talked about any of the players on the Panthers. Like, because that's not, because there's nothing really to talk about, you know, like you can't, I like, I think. Not intelligently. No, you're right. Yeah. Or not anything new. Like I like I didn't learn anything from DJ Moore yesterday when we talked to him in the Zoom press conference, other than um, you know he he's not mad at Matt Rule for saying he needs to take the next step. Like I didn't. Well, I'll ask you a football question. Flashback okay. to 20, 2015, uh, when we had Jonathan Stewart as a starting running back. Were you were you looking for more for Fozzie, Jordan Todman, Brandon Weger? or Cameron Artist Payne to really fill that void? And do you think in the name of, of continuity, we should bring back Cameron Artist Payne? Great question. Um, I do feel like – uh, first time, long time, and I think that I, I – first of all, I think Cameron Artist Payne deserves an honest look. Wasn't able to get it in the <laughs> XFL. Um, maybe The Rock will give it to him. Um, <laughs> sorry, Cameron, if you're listening. Uh, but, like, no, I – yeah. I, I, like, Brian Burns today said he had put on 15 pounds. Um, and that his wrist was completely healthy. And it's like, those are interesting points. But at the same time, I would really like to see him on the field and see if he looks bigger. He didn't look bigger on, on the Zoom. Shaq Thompson looked smaller on the Zoom, but I don't really, you know. Like, That's just a camera angle. He's just sitting further away. It's like holding the fish close to the camera, Josh. <laughs> yeah, it's like, look at, how much, look at how much weight I've lost, you guys. <laughs> I was going to say, I can put on 15 pounds, but is it a worthwhile 15 pounds? That's what we need to know. No, it's a great point. Like, I, like yeah, put on 15 pounds, but it's like during quarantine, bro. <laughs> yeah. Might be the wrong but it's your Did you get red status on the Chick-fil-A app? What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> or eating ice cream sadly. Is that what you called it, Josh? <laughs> yeah. Sometimes late night ice cream is sad ice cream time. <laughs> Any other training camp thoughts? I <laughs> no, <laughs> not yet. <laughs> until we can get until we can get in there and watch them do stuff. You're just you're basing it off of pictures of Teddy handing the ball and uh, and guys jumping to make catches. So it looks like Teddy's throwing a little high. 
I really like what I see out of this young man, but his hands, I'm just concerned that his hands aren't going to be consistent. And we're just going to need to see if he's going to be able to, you know, uh, solve that, if he's going to be a meaningful part of this team. Been really impressed with Kiaris Garrett. Um, really has the, uh, has the look of a wide receiver. It's like best of trading camp. That's, that's, the tw- that's actually the tweet that we're missing is, I don't know if so-and-so can play football, but he definitely belongs on the field. Looks the part. <laughs> looks the part. Yeah, he looks the part. That's right, yeah. The old elevator up, elevator down from training camp that day if somebody dropped a pass. <laughs> well, we want to hear more stories from Jim. I mean, that's why everyone's here, right? We want to hear Jim tell stories. That's what I'm here for, yes. <laughs> I want to hear what I have to say. <laughs> I know Colin probably has specific things that he wants to ask. Did you bring like a notebook full of questions? <laughs> he does. He's got his end. Call me out. It's called preparation. Get, can, I, can I get it before before Colin gets in? Jim, do you have like a very do you have like a number one favorite memory from your time covering the Carolina Panthers and, and calling every game? Twenty five years. I have different ones, some on field and some off. Awesome. One of my favorite memories of just a, a surprise situation that happened is this was back when Roman Gabriel was doing the broadcast with us, which he was on the first seven years with Bill Rosinski and me. And we're in Manhattan at Smith and Walensky's having dinner the night before. And uh, this is how long the story was. Wayne Gretzky was playing for the New York Rangers, comes walking by with Scott Stevens. And we're sitting at a table, about eight of us having dinner at Smith and Walensky's. And um, Wayne Gretzky comes walking through, first of all, and then he stops and looks at Roman Gabriel. Wayne Gretzky's a huge NFL fan. He goes, you're Roman Gabriel. He goes, yes, I am. Wayne Gretzky sits down at our table for 20 minutes with Scott Stevens, just talking old-timey football with Roman Gabriel, which has nothing to do with covering the Panthers, but just one of those weird things where you're just sitting there minding your own business, having dinner, and next thing you know, Wayne Gretzky's pulling up a, a chair, having, having dinner with you for about 20 minutes. So that was cool. Um, you know, the best seasons were the two Super Bowl years. Those are the most fun. But a lot of it was that first year and that second year, 95, because of the fact we had 21 road games. So we never had a home game as they were building the stadium up here. And beginning with Canton, which I'm from Ohio. So for me, my first game was a home game about 30 minutes from where I grew up. So that was special. and Everything was a first that year. And then the second year, they were just kind of 500-ish, and they caught fire, win seven in a row at the end, beat Dallas in the playoffs in 96 with Dom Capers. And, I mean, that was just so out of the blue in their second year. And we just thought football's that easy. You know, here we are in our second year. We just won 12 games. All these teams that have been around for decades can't figure out what we have figured out. And, of course, we know that every other year we go 7-9, and nine, so we weren't able to sustain that. But um, that was um, – I think 96 was an underrated season looking back because you look at the Super Bowl years. But to go 12-4 and four in your second year, win your first ever playoff game against Dallas, win eight games in a row, that to me was uh, really surprising the way they were able to throw it together at that time. I look back at the the history of this team, and uh, particularly as like a work like a workout room leader or a quiet leader, not necessarily the, the raw raw guy, but you know Sam Mills was obviously the original. And then I was thinking about it; like I definitely think Smitty got to that point, but he wasn't. He certainly wasn't that guy for the first Super Bowl run. He gets to that point at some point, and then I look at Luke and TD as as, as a tandem, really that have led that way. I guess going forward, before we go back, do you see, like, if, if you agree with me that there are these guys, do you think CMC is the kind of guy that can be that type of leader going forward? I think he is now. Yeah. I think he is that now and going forward will be that guy. And he's always oozed it. And he's, um, uh, to me, 
is going to probably get more vocal now a little bit where he wasn't so much a vocal leader, but I think he'll probably do that a little bit more now. But yeah, you look at his work ethic and just keeping up with what he's trying to do and even seeing some of the stuff he puts out on social media in the off season with the practicing the one-handed catches and the things he does. Uh, he's the centerpiece of this team and he's the centerpiece of, I think, kind of what will be the work ethic captain with not having TD, not having Luke Keekley, Pep, Cam. All these guys are gone now. I, I think it's squarely on CMC for the most part. I mentioned a, couple, a lot of names there. You could have just kept going with. I know. It's so we're no Greg, Greg Olson, Ryan Khalil, keep going. <laughs> I'm curious though. Like, do you think who was the guy or who who was the group for that for the O3 team that you would say was that 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 work ethic leader? Uh, that's a great question. I you know I think that team was um, you know led by what was going on on the defensive side when you look at like Pep and Rucker and guys like that in particular on that side of the ball. And then I think offensively, you know, Jake Delhomme. I think. The reason he's in the Hall of Honor as much as anything is who he is and his character and his personality. I mean, Jake, it just felt like at times it was just willing this team to win, maybe beyond even his abilities as a top-level NFL quarterback in this league. And certainly he was capable of sensational games. But I thought Jake's just his want to, just his you know, desire to win um, was, was a big part of that. So I absolutely, I think of like those teams and, and Jake DeLome just kind of willing them to that. You mentioned Smitty and Usin. I mean, those guys were all part of that, that legacy too. Do you have a uh, do you have a kind of a favorite Jake DeLome story? Because he like he just like I remember you know being watching that team in two thousand three and just kind of envying the relationship that he seemed to have with almost everybody on the team. Like you know how like Cam, I, I've witnessed Cam's relationship with everybody on the team, but Jake just seemed to have that you know ridiculous Cajunness to him that that oozed out of every interaction he was a personal joke like in terms of just you know, personality and being a joker him and Brad Hoover were just an incredible tandem of constantly just being hilarious to deal with and with Jake I would interview him after practice every Wednesday coming off the field for TV and radio and I had this uh, mini disc player back when mini discs were still being used around that time in the early 2000s and it was this blue recorder and the thing finally just fell apart. It was very thin and it just finally fell apart. But Jake was highly superstitious. Like remember, um, I guess it was a 2004, the next year after the Super Bowl, right? Where they started out like one and seven and then they got hot and they almost made the playoffs. They ended up going the typical seven and nine, but they win like rattle off six, seven wins in a row. And one week I show up without the blue recorder anymore because it doesn't work. And Jake's like, if we lose this week, it's on you for not bringing that blue recorder. <laughs> so after that week, I would bring two recorders. I would bring the working one and then the non-functioning blue one and hold them together because Jake DeLome didn't want me to not have the lucky tape recorder that was leading them into the six-game winning streak from our Wednesday interviews every week. And he meant it. And if I didn't bring it, he was going to be mad and think and pin, pin a loss on me if I didn't bring that recorder, even though it served no purpose other than the fact that he wanted it to be there because it was lucky. So your, your tape recorder and, and Marty's untied shoestring are two of the things that we have to credit. That's exactly. things that need statues outside Bank of America Stadium. That's right. This would be like some little display case for these items. Yeah. I, I'm curious. We look back, you know, and the, the, the Hall of Honor, that stuff's starting to, to grow um, under Tepper. But who's a guy whose um, contribution to the Panthers you think is most underappreciated? Oh, that's a good question, too, as Ooh. far as being underappreciated. Um, 
Colin, you are getting all the good questions here. You are. You Dude, finally you let me talk to somebody. This is what happens. I don't you know. can compliment my questions anytime if you want. Like if I have some <laughs> good ones, just feel free to. If throw you ask a good out. one, it helps. This one, either, this one either seems incredibly obvious as a player, or a generation has just just missed it. But it's when you look back at the twenty-five years, the fact that John Casey was here for 15, 16 years, and he's the all-time scoring leader for this franchise. I get it. He's a kicker. I mean, he was here forever, and he was the first free agent they signed. So in terms of, like, legacy, here's the first free agent they signed, brought him in from Seattle, kicked here for 15, 16 seasons. He was injured for maybe two of those. Um, Is your all-time leading scorer in points with Graham Gano's second. I think John Casey, in that time, everyone knew exactly who he was, but I think is almost somewhat forgotten as we've kind of moved away from that generation where he played. I, I, that is a great piece of trivia that I'm definitely going to use. The first free agent that they signed, John Casey. Um, I just not not to bring it back to uh, to, to present day, but Colin, you sent out a tweet a couple of days ago um, talking about Graham Gano, and he was he was a top five Panthers kicker. Yes, and I wasn't sure where that was a joke, right? Uh, this is, I, I was this hoping part. to catch someone with that bait. I didn't. I didn't think it was going to be you that I that I hooked with that one, though. Yeah, of course he's top five. <laughs> but he's. But he's I top. didn't. Oh, I, I was. <laughs> I was done two, with Graham. Though, right? I was done with Graham Gano. It was a bad joke. That's fine. I was done with Graham Gano as a Panther. I was ready for Graham Gano to move on, and I was saying, "Hey, no one can dispute that he's top five in our history." Trying to make it seem like I was saying something nice on the way out. That's what happened, okay, Josh? You really want to know? That's what happened. Throwing some shade. You're so ready. You you were yeah. You were number one anti in the I hate Graham club. Look, if we're trusting people, is Florida State kickers where we're starting? <laughs> It's a fair question. Although he was the best one. Yeah. yeah He's he the is. most reliable one out of that. Look, that's the thing. He, cement, he cemented the, the nod, Cam's nod against the Giants. He hits a 63-yarder. There were, some, there were some great moments. It's just he's a kicker. He's a kicker. I'm sorry. He's a kicker. True. Uh, yeah. All right. Fine. Good. I know they're people, too. They Those are. They are people, too. <laughs> Jim, I've got what I would call a good question to ask. <laughs> <laughs> a vetted good question. Pre-approved good question. Okay. Uh, it's not that good of a question. Uh, what would you say <laughs> is the biggest change that you've seen over the past 25 years that's not just, you know, like nicer TV or like a, nice, a nicer jumbotron and escalators at the stadium, but like what, what, do you, what do you think is one of the biggest changes that you've seen? As far as the actual football part or just the whole coverage just of it? it or? Yeah, just any of it. Good question, Josh. As far as on the field, I would say training camp used to really be like, um, I mean, it just, it just reminds me of like a different era, like the 50s, because the two-a-days were almost every day. I don't know what the percentage was, but we would go down. We'd do the morning show. It'd be a morning practice. You'd have the afternoon to put your stuff together. Then there'd be an evening practice. And that was like almost like every day felt like it was 48 hours long. And of course, now with the NFLPA stuff and all that, you know, there's never two a days and there's very little padded practices that are even allowed. So as far as this time of year goes with football, I mean, it just felt like the old junction boys almost back then as far as like going to football practice. And guys would get hurt and the guys would play the fourth preseason game. We had a game in Pittsburgh where we lost three starters. We lost uh, Bucky Greeley, who was a center. We lost Chuck Wiley, who was a defensive end. And I believe that was the game where Pat Jeffers, the receiver, tore his knee up, if you remember. Pat Jeffers. Um, so I think we lost three quasi starters 
Uh, Bucky was a backup, but the three almost uh, starters uh, in a fourth preseason game. So they've really toned down, you know, that bubble wrap of trying to get to the regular season with as little contact as possible. And then off the field, it's things like this. I mean, it's just, you know, back then, I mentioned calling in on a pay phone from a hotel lobby that we got an NFL franchise calling into WBT. You know, you guys can turn your phone on. You're live to go uh, to do any kind of show or report, podcast, and those kind of things. There's so many reporters that just are now have technology to their hand where back then you really had beat writers, you had sports anchors, and that was it. I mean, there wasn't all this media. There was like two, three, four go-to people. Now there's, there's so many angles that a team can be covered from from a different way with all the digital technology that didn't exist in 1995. So that to me is the, the coverage of uh, even just watching and get rid of going to a practice like you talk about is just like, 10,000 tweets coming out because somebody dropped a pass or just, mm-hmm. you know, somebody got injured. It's just a, a instantaneous information now that didn't exist. And we would get mad sometimes we'd be doing the game and a player would get injured during a game, a regular season game, and they would go to press row and say, so-and-so's hurt. They're going, why are you telling the reporters that newspaper comes out tomorrow? You know, we're doing, <laughs> we're doing a live radio broadcast. Could you share that with us? Uh, we could actually get that information out right now because we happen to be live radio, but that's how things have changed is that amount of information, instantaneous information that, didn't exist. You'd have to wait till the next day to see what happened at training camp. Do you think that the amount of that instantaneous information or the access to that instantaneous information is a good or a bad thing for, uh, for, for fans of a team? You know, I think it's, it's good. I think we've all kind of sort of lowered our expectations that not everything is going to be a hundred percent accurate. So I think it's good that the access is better, but I'm a journalism major and we were taught better to be right than to be first. And so I'm a little bit old school that if you're quick with bad information, it's just bad information. Um, so to me, it's, it's not accountability. Like back then, you said the famous you know, newspapers, we were wrong, where they would run the corrections of minor things they might have gotten wrong uh, in a previous article. Maybe an address was wrong or a name was misspelled. You know, now you can be completely wrong about major information about a trade or an injury. And it seems as if it's forgotten so quickly because there's so much information. I'm not even talking about like, hot take, sports talk guy. I'm talking about journalistic information being flat out incorrect. Uh, and there's no real accountability where it's like, unless you're, you just say, I'm going to block that guy. I don't believe what they're writing anymore is the only thing I can see with that. But it's, it's not being quick is not good if you're wrong. Yeah, it used to be less impactful and they did more to, to, to respect the fact that they screwed up. And now it's more impactful and we do less to cover up the fact that, that, that somebody screwed up. But, uh, uh, well, no, this isn't even happier times, Jim. I, I, we, know, we know the great seasons, but what, what season do you look back on and say, that year, this was the year that I thought they were going to do better than they did. What's the year that you look back as the, as the great missed opportunity in Panthers history? Yeah, you know, the, the weirdest year was 2001, which was Seifert's last year. Because people forget they went eight and eight, seven and nine. They were pretty decent. And he decided in training camp he didn't want Steve Berline anymore, who was a big part of why they were very competitive. Steve Berline had a 36-touchdown pass uh, season uh, the first year of Seifert under there. He decided to go with Jeff Lewis in camp, the late Jeff Lewis. And then that didn't work, so Chris Winkie was thrown in. So they took what was essentially a mediocre football team and made it 1-15 horrible, even though they won that first game against Minnesota. There was just no reason all of a sudden in August we just completely changed out of our team and became this – horrible laughingstock of a team out of nowhere based on some personnel decisions there. So that one surprised me uh, as far as not being very good. But there's been, it's like, I would almost say, Colin, almost every year, if you look at our history, when we've been a good playoff team, 
as we know, we've never had back-to-back winning years. Take any year after we've had a winning playoff-type season, take all of those, each one of those, and go, where did that come from? Where did that 6-10 and 10 come from? Where did that 7-9, and nine, where did that 4-12 and 12 come from? We're just – if you almost had to do the quarter century of Carolina Panthers football, it was consistently inconsistent. I mean, wild highs and then followed by mediocrity or, or worse, you know, right out of the gate the next year, whether it's injuries or just bad luck, losing close games, any mixture of that. Long-term mediocrity. Not anymore. Yeah. Positive energy. Now, see, I disagree with that assessment, though, of this organization. Would you trade – anybody trade to be a Jaguars fan right now? No, I actually no. – I, I, I joked with the long-term mediocrity, but yeah. I, um, I, I think that there are, there are things worse than long-term mediocrity. They just had that list to go out of the four teams that have, have not been to a Super Bowl in the history of their franchise, and the Panthers have been to two in 25 years. So there are a lot of – I bet you there are a lot of Lions fans out there that would trade their entire franchise history for uh, the 2015 season in Carolina. Like uh, maybe a couple of the Barry Sanders years they'd probably want to keep, but like a a Calvin Johnson type situation. But for the most part, like it's been hell on earth. If if you're a 50-year-old Lions fan, you you hate the Lions. But if you're a 14-year-old Panthers fan, you're pissed off because they've only made the Super Bowl once. Yeah, I think it's interesting now because as a quote, unquote, I guess I'm an older fan now. Because yeah, you're young. Never, you look young. I, I I feel it. I feel I feel very young. But that, like the idea that people are now coming in and maybe they they joined because of '03 or they joined because of Cam and or, and '15, so that like everything prior to that might as well be black and white footage. Like I'm now the old guy. You know, it's it's <laughs> it's, it's crazy how we we're still think of ourselves as a young fan base, but I think. It, people are still getting added all the time. Yeah, Who's ready like for the, a game? For a game? Oh, I didn't mean to cut yeah. you off. Yeah. No, I was going to say, I think there's a, like a cutting off point of like when John Fox, Julius Peppers came in in 02 and out of that Seifert year, that that's a fan base that doesn't even remember or isn't old enough to recall the uh, Dom Capers and George Seifert errors at all. Yeah, yeah, like you, you remember it is what it is if you remember Foxy era. But Dom, Dom Capers was keep chopping wood, but that's not quite the same. But yeah, like you, if you don't, if you say it is what it is to a young Panthers fan, they have no idea. You're like, wait, no, this is this is a thing. This is our this is our language. We speak this. There are a lot of there are a ton of. I think you're absolutely right, Jim. I think there's a cutoff before John Fox and another one before Ron Rivera, where there are. I mean, there are a lot of fans who think that. Jake DeLome is old school, you know, is like yeah. the, is like the old version of the Panthers. And when you say, so the Roaring Riot has been doing these giveaways. They, uh, they give away like autographed um, memorabilia. And it's like, you put up a, you put one of Kevin Green autographed helmet. People are like, eh, who's that? Hall of Famer. Or, yeah. Frank Reich and Dom Capers signed helmet. I admit that was a little bit niche. I get why not many people were as interested in that, but like, and they, they just don't even realize that they're like Frank Wright, coach of the Colts. It's like, no, first quarterback, Panthers history. Pete Vetsalars, well, come on. I think the most interesting part of, kind of the, the, the young or the, the nouveau fans or whatever is the, the people that came because of Cam and think that Cam gave the, the franchise the identity, but they all respect Smitty because ain't nobody messing with Smitty. <laughs> like, yeah. It's like Smitty's the one guy that gets blessed because it's like, don't mess with that guy. Just if there's one thing I know about being a Panthers fan, just don't mess with that guy. Oh yeah, let's do it. It's All game right. time. This week is 
come on down. So within an almost foregone conclusion that multiple starters and contributors are going to get COVID this season, each of you are going to come up with one player who's either on the fringe of the roster or maybe on the practice squad who will have an impact on the season. I know Josh wants to go first because he's podcaster of the year. You know it. Um, well, my my selection is not exactly on the fringe of the roster, but J.J. Jansen, come on down because <laughs> Matt Paradis tested positive for COVID-19. Tyler Larson didn't make the roster, and Sam Tecklenburg has a sprained ankle, and you're now the starting center for the Carolina Panthers in week six. So, um, J.J. Jansen, it's not just long snapping you're doing. You're going to be doing some short snapping. Everyone knows the offense is going to be great this year. All the problems were on the defense, Josh. I'm not sure why you're trying to bring this stuff up. Well, you can't have injuries. Not on the, not on the offensive line. That doesn't happen. Has Russell Kung shown up yet? Is he a uh, person yet? I I received a text that he has he has not talked about opting out as of yet. So uh, as as a Twitter follower of, her, as, of his, I see that he's very concerned about COVID. So I'm just asking the question. <laughs> Colin, who do you got? Mine. Well, I mean, come on. Okay, everyone's excited about Ian Thomas. We know Josh has got. Chris Manhurst, but we're going to need some continuity. We're going to need some people that have been in the battles with Coach Rule and his staff, and that's where Colin Thompson, the tight end out of Temple, is, Temple is going to step up and be a difference maker. Colin Thompson, big one, eleven yard touchdown for the Panthers this season. You didn't even say the catchphrase. You got to say yeah. Catchphrase. You got to be come on down. Uh, oh, oh, that. For, I thought you were talking about calling this tonight. <laughs> we got to stick together. <laughs> well, I lost Colin Jones. At least let me give you this guy. Colin's got to stick together. It's a rule. Colin Jones still unsigned, by the way, waiting to be a captain somewhere else. <laughs> so come on down, Colin Thompson, Colin Thomason, Colin Tompkins. Come on down. That guy. Jim, who do you have? I'm going to go with one of their rookie draft picks because you look at KK Short coming back, Derek Brown's first Brown pick. But I'm not going to, you know, do any mojo about they might have COVID or what injury they might have because I think that's bad luck. But Bravey and Roy, I'm intrigued by six foot one, 330 whatever pounds. I've got the Baylor connection, obviously, there. He sounded so unsurprised back when they were doing draft day interviews with him that he was picked. It was almost like predetermined that they knew they were going to get him in a later round. I think Bravey and Roy, whether it's through injury or just earning it, I was a big Kyle Love fan. So I, I like those those big guys in the middle that are just run stuffers, going to take up two blockers there. Uh, I guess in a 4-3, it'll be a one technique, but he could be a nose tackle zero technique. But I think Braven Roy, whether through injury or just him being here and being familiar with Phil Snow, uh, he'll have something to say as a late draft pick that I think he's intriguing. And you never have enough you know big old guys in there that could just stuff the run, which was job number one and what they did with drafting Derek Brown in the first place, getting KK back is you got to stop that run up the middle. So I, I think we'll see pretty decent amount of Brabian Roy. I think he'll get better as uh, he gets through this year. And mine is man on the street. Come on down. I know you're on your couch. You're not on a roster. We will see you week eight. Those guys yep. that work out outside the, the, the stadiums now seem a little bit more logical <laughs> at this time. They always seem kind of crazy in the past, but now it's like, you know, he's going to be available. He's going to be right there. They might just take him. Uh, Jim, if you want to be found on the internet or whatnot, where can people find you? 
Uh, only on the Twitter, uh, at Jim Zoki, which you could probably spell Jim, but Zoki, S-Z-O-K-E. Uh, so on the Twitter, you'll see me there. Colin rules. Colin rules? No, just kidding. See, I put your two together. Colin rules. To one. I don't, I couldn't have said any better myself. I'll talk to you guys <laughs> next week. <laughs> please, please change your Twitter handle to that. Colin CLT, Josh Klein rules. Stop <laughs> <laughs> I'm Nikki704. This has been One Day Contract, part of the Riot Network. And Jim Zoki, your one day contract is up. Everyone else, see you next week. Wash your hands.